The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Well, it's a pleasure to welcome uh, to the studio here Pascal Donoghue, of course, not only just Minister for Public Expenditure, but the National Development Plan. He has slipped into his title and he's President of the Eurogroup and Fine Gael TD for Dublin Central. You're welcome, Pascal. Let's start with, with, with RTE. What do you make? Another fine mess, isn't it? Um, it's another development that's going to further undermine the trust that many have in RTE and does raise further profound questions regarding the governance and organisation of RTE. Three things need to happen. Number one, which will happen this week, uh, the government will agree the terms of reference for review as to what has happened. The second thing that will need to happen is when that review is underway, steps will have to be taken to restore confidence. We can't wait many months for that review to conclude. And thirdly, then, I do believe it is appropriate, if not now, vital that RTE engage with the Oireachtas during the week. So those three things okay. need to happen. Well, in your, in your tenure now, you've been a decade or more in government. You, you've been uh, Minister of Finance. You've, you've dealt with a lot of semi-states. I mean, I was reading Dee's statement this morning and she said she acted in good faith. How can you go before an Oireachtas committee saying that you've cut pay by 15% when you actually know that instructions were given to have explicit anonymity about a payment of 230000 to a London account? Like, how, how is that in good faith? And this is why I've described it as a further development that will undermine the trust that many have within RTE. Uh, RTE or indeed any media organisation but particularly one that is state funded uh, has two elements to its mandate amongst many others. The first one is the need to ask questions and the second one then is the need when those questions are on but to get full and transparent answers to them and to be in a situation now where we have arrangements in place that were designed to minimise transparency it appears to me and secondly, where we've individuals saying, well, we didn't ask questions, um, is not acceptable. And that is why the steps that I referred to earlier on now need to happen as a matter of urgency. But when I look back at the reign, seven years of Moya Doherty and, and, and Dee Forbes, and like working in the media, look, the media has been upended. You know, 70% of all income advertising has gone digital. Print newspapers mightn't exist in a number of Mm -hmm. years. And it's all bad news. You know what I mean? It's all fragmentation and so on. I put it to you that as as a shareholder in this, what have they done to modernise? What have they done? You know, they don't even have a breakfast TV radio programme. What have they done about asset utilisation? What have they done about productivity? They've actually been uh, whinging and begging for more money from the state. Um, and during that time, uh, I've been very careful uh, about additional resources that have been made available uh, to RTE, particularly in terms of the debate regarding the, the television licence and whether a new form of a charge is needed and how that should be collected. Uh, I do believe progress was made across that period, but I'm very conscious that if you look at the organisation within which I'm speaking to you here, here in Newstalk, uh, I know you've been at the uh, forefront of having to deal with digital changes and disruptive media and changes. And salaries have been, I would say, decimated across the board. And I mean, in print and local radio and so on, just the reality is what I used to earn years ago and what you could potentially earn now, I've, I've, I've more than halved. And that's why I'm very conscious, as I said, that steps need to be taken while a review of this is underway. Uh, it is almost certainly the case uh, that in 
as RTE were dealing with this issue in this way that it had consequences for other media organisations as well. Uh, and this is why uh, the review that the government is referring to, to, to needs to happen. I want to talk to you about the review. First of all, we know what's going to happen. D Forbes is not going to turn up. The Adrian Lynch and those who do turn up will all blame D Forbes and other people say they didn't know. It'll all run into the sand and then we'll have this review. I mean... Put it like this, Grant Thornton and auditors will go through the money trail and so on. What can the review achieve? Like, is it a judicial review? Is it an audit review? I mean, who, who might you appoint? What type of person? Well, we'll need to get an individual and or an organisation that has not been involved in RTE or this set of events up to this point to do the work in terms of what it will need to achieve. Uh, there are two things I will be looking for it to achieve. Number one, we do need to know uh, why these payments were signed off and by whom. And secondly, we need to know if this is an arrangement that has stretched behind or beyond a single individual or a single contract. Uh, they will be two things that will be very important to establish. So are you are you minded to think of financial people or judicial I, people? Like, like I, I, These I, are important questions. I think it's inevitable there will be a very strong financial element to us. While I appreciate uh, the reaction of those who work in RTE and I appreciate the reaction of those who work in the media world to all of this, such as yourself, uh, for me, it cuts to the heart of another issue that we have, uh, which is that uh, in the media world, and particularly for a state broadcaster, it's about asking questions and then getting answers that can be stood over. And as I said, at the very minimum, we have an arrangement in place that appears to have been designed to avoid transparency. Now, in your opinion, as a, as a listener and a viewer and as an important mm. person, do you think Ryan Tuberty can return to the air prior to the completion of any review? Uh, that's a matter for RTE and a matter for Ryan Tuberty. And I am uh, not going to uh, uh, be in a position to give an informed answer to that question uh, until we have a review that is uh, well underway. But even if I did have information in relation to it, I fundamentally do not believe that politicians should decide who is on air. Um, I believe that is a decision that should be made by their management. I'd hate to be in a position, Ivan, that I might decide if you're in a position to be on RTE or not. Surely you can imagine the enjoyment that I would deprive many indeed, listeners indeed, of. Indeed, um, indeed, I shouldn't decide that. Indeed. It's a matter for independent management. Okay, uh, let's move C- on. Can you imagine if I ever did make a well, decision well, regarding put it, put it, put it like whether this. you're able to enter Montrose or not? There could be, the, God knows what the public reaction indeed, could be. Ivan. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Um, let, let's talk about some, some topical issues. Uh, I mentioned your, your brief, brief has been expanded to include the, the, the National Development Plan. Look, all singing, all dancing, 165 billion, Project 2040, all that good stuff. The truth is, each year we have huge unspent money, over a billion a year on housing, uh, projects stalled. I push it to you that over your tenure, over a decade, you have allowed a housing crisis to turn into a planning emergency. 500 staff missing from local authorities and on board Panola. You can't even get a pre-planning meeting and then they ask for further particulars. I could name examples of delays with board Panola. I could mention judicial reviews. I could mention so on. Our planning system is just not fit for purpose. And the OPR, the Office of Planning, has actually made it worse because I deal with Cairn Holmes. I deal with Glen Vey. We're trying to build two or three thousand houses a year. They find land is dezoned. They find density rules. Can I not put it to you that 
the, the government, and with your infrastructure brief, have failed to reform planning. Uh, so I'm so aware of uh, the need to build more homes and the need to make more progress uh, to the country and for that progress to be seen. When I started off uh, in a senior role in government in 2016, we were building six to 7,000 homes a year. We're now going to be building around 30,000 homes this year and we need to build more. To deal with the core of your question, I actually do accept uh, uh, a core premise that you're putting to me, that within our planning system at the moment, uh, we do have challenges in it. Um, if I look at where we are with Onboard Planola, for example, we have now massively increased the funding and the resources that are available uh, to Onboard Planola uh, because it is the case uh, that outside of housing, we have really important infrastructure projects that we need to see independent decisions made on quicker. Um, and uh, that is why the funding that's been made available to Onboard Planola has increased by so much. But in can, relation can I to give the you off- one example? Can well, I, I give you Irish Water? Irish sure. Water, at a, at a conference in which, which you spoke at, said one of the problems they have is they've not only got to go through the planning process, which typically takes three years, they cannot concurrently go through the consent process. They can only start that after the planning process is over, which means huge for this city, water and sewerage schemes are being delayed seven years. Like, surely it's a no-brainer to let them run concurrently. Uh, and that is why uh, there are two steps underway to deal with this issue. The first one, as I said, is how we can make uh, more funding and support available to onboard Planola, which we're doing. And then beyond that, then, we have similar issues within our smaller and medium-sized local authorities that we will then deal with. Secondly, uh, what we then need to do is reform and change our planning process. And as you know, Minister Dara O'Brien um, is bringing forward legislation that is going to be contested by some because it is going to look to make our planning process, particularly for larger projects, more efficient than it currently is. And I expect that legislation will be in front of the door later in the year uh, and will be a big step in dealing with the issues that you're fairly identifying. Let's talk about the cost of living. People, you know, first of all, competitiveness for business. And then we have people really struggling with their electricity bills. Now, the EU Commission did a study last week in relation to the relative costs. So if something happens in Ukraine and prices go up externally, the government can't be held responsible. However, it looks like we are 46% above the EU average for goods and services. And I could go through detailed things. And other than clothing, we're actually nearly worst in class. What are the government doing to stop the re-emergence of rip-off Ireland? But the other side of the table that you refer to there is that our income is amongst the highest in the European Union as well, which is one of the reasons that prices are also at a high level. We have an economy that's growing. Well, that's so not quickly. a good spiral. Uh, oh, I accept that. Uh, and we don't. Well, actually, that we have income that is above the EU level, um, I think, is a good thing. Uh, where I think we then have a, a, uh, a spiral that we need to avoid happening is what that then means for prices. So what will the government do about it? Again, number of steps that we have to take about it. The first one is we have to get inflation down. Um, if inflation becomes embedded in a small open economy like our own, uh, uh, we've been here before. But rather than raising interest rates to choke demand, what, what tools are you using? Uh, so firstly, it's going to be what our overall budget strategy is. 
uh, and uh, the Fiscal Advisory Council and the Central Bank, while offering advice about next year, have also said that the policies that we've had in place for this year have been appropriate. They've helped those who've need to help the most uh, and they've also facilitated demand uh, falling within our economy that hopefully should mean that the inflation that we saw last year that was an average above 8% for this year is going to be above 5% when we move into next year should be below 3%. Uh, And getting inflation down within our economy is the number one priority for over time then making our country more affordable than it otherwise is. Now, it looks like a 10 billion surplus this year in the Exchequer and 16 billion next year. What can we expect from the summer economic statement? So it's been finalised at the moment uh, and it will be uh, prepared and shared with the Oireachtas before the doll rises. Uh, It is actually related to the other question you just put to me. There is a link between the two of them. We are in a position of where we have a very large surplus for next year in particular, uh, nearly all of which is coming from corporate tax receipts, uh, which relates to economic activity that happens outside. Well, you could just pay off the debt. That happens outside of Ireland. You you could pay off the national debt. You could set up a sovereign wealth fund. What are you thinking? Uh, uh, And these are the very issues that we're looking at at the moment. The Minister for Finance uh, published a paper uh, outlining options uh, that Minister McGrath pointed to whereby we could use the surpluses that we have to make our country, our economy, our society uh, safer, quicker. Uh, And uh, the challenge that we are aware of is if you look at the taxes that are coming in there, uh, 9 to 11 billion euro of that is corporate tax. If we begin to spend that within our economy, uh, it could really add to the inflationary spiral you raised there a moment ago. But secondly, we run the risk of, again, funding day-to-day expenditure and tax receipts that will not be around forever. So what will the summer economic statement do? It will lay out what we believe roughly should be the size of the budget package for next year. And we'll then lay out how we would be looking to manage the surpluses that are there and what we would do with them. And myself and Minister McGrath working on the party with the party leaders. But when can we expect that? As we speak. I said that a moment ago. Uh, The dollar will be rising in three weeks' time. Before that. Before then. All right. Let's talk politics. Let's talk Fine Gael. Um, There really is quite the mass exodus, isn't there? We started with McHugh and Donegal, extended to Mr Griffin in in, in Kerry, uh, Michael Creed. Uh, I hear up to 10 people. Um, You know, Richard Bruton... uh, Charlie Flanagan, Michael Ring might decide to head for the hills. It really is a problem, isn't it, for Finnegan? Well, I'm actually struck, though. I've been interviewed by a man who made the decision to retire himself from That's political right. life. That's at 42, yes. And you made that decision when you were at your prime, yeah. uh, with many speculating that but you... But I'd done 20 years hard labour. I mean, some but, of these... Be- no, but, my, but, but the question it, I'm asking it, you isn't is... Isn't that the point, though, Ivan? You've done 20 years hard labour, for want of a better phrase. I'm not sure I'd describe <laughs> it as hard labour all the time. It is demanding work. Many of the figures that you're referring to there uh, have been involved in politics for 20 plus years. Do you accept it's a huge problem for Fine Gael that some of these seats might not be held? I'm confident that we will keep all those seats. I don't believe it is a huge problem. I think people like you did inevitably get to a point in life where they believe they've been doing something for long enough and want to do something else like you did while they're still healthy with, okay. m- with, with much to achieve so, ahead so, of them. So where I'm going with this? I think I know the next step. Okay. You're going to well, take the next question argument. is this. When I talk to people uh, privately uh, and we talk Leo, Simon, Pascal, people say to me without invitation, 
don't be surprised if Pascal doesn't stand in the next election. And I think you worked in Unilever and I heard from them you were one of the people they were sorry left the private sector to go into the public sector. So I have no doubt you have corporate career opportunities. Like, if I was to offer you 14 years as, as a minister, cabinet minister, 10, you know, back when you, st- when you were a senator, you would have taken the hand off me. I, I was taken aback by your recent statement that you might stand again. What's the truth? Because there's nothing stopping you at the last minute to change your mind. Oh, I will stand again. And uh, I will stand again and put my name to the people of Dublin Central because there's so much more I want to do. Even if the life. constituency boundary rewrites your constituency? But sure, I've been through constituency redraws already. Uh, I've been through a redraw in 2016 that my constituency went off in three different directions. And many were predicting... So there are no circumstances you won't stand in the next... Ivan, many were predicting in 2016 that I wouldn't stand and if I did, I wouldn't get elected. Uh, seven years later, I'm still here. Uh, I will stand in the next general election. I'll be putting my name forward. Okay. I want to continue to play a part. So the final uh, question I want to ask you is In my party this. and in public life. I have an iron rule of, of political punditry. <laughs> uh, Maggie Thatcher, Tony Blair, Bertie Ahern, Unless you're in Russia or China, you don't go beyond 14 years. Because whatever you get up and say, we're going to do this about health or housing or education, people say, mate, you had 14 years to do something. Do you not appreciate that it is actually impossible to get another term for Finnegan? Oh, God, I don't accept that at all. Uh, and uh, uh, I could point to examples that uh, provide a kind of a, a, well, other than a, a counter view. Well, let's look at Dutch politics. Uh, let's look at Belgian politics. Uh, where you've seen political parties at times even under the same leader that have been in office for four to five terms. Now, I'm not saying uh, we're talking about a Fine Gael fifth term here, but I am making the point that if you look at the uh, uh, the structural trend in opinion polls, uh, there is a government uh, which is in... Uh, uh, so you're in denial that Sinn Féin's going to eat your lunch? Oh, I think there's every prospect that Fine Gael will be able to make the case for going back into government and for being in government in the next oil. That's what I want you to see happen. You don't think that's delusional? I, and the reason Looking for, at the polls. Like, the last, the last election, mm-hmm. Sinn Féin got 12 more seats, they had enough votes, didn't run on 24.5% of the vote. On 30%, they'll get over 60 seats after they redraw the constituencies. And every election is fundamentally different. Uh, we are a long way away from the next election happening. Uh, of course, I accept it's going to be a demanding argument to put to the public and say, we're asking you to support us in a fourth term of office. Of course, I appreciate uh, the challenges around that, but I will be making the case, and I'm sure my other colleagues in Fine Gael will be, that despite a pandemic, uh, despite the surge in the cost of living and the world changing due to the war in Ukraine, we are making progress on many of the things our country wants to see improve. We can do more in order to do more. Uh, will be asking for support to be in government again and I will want to play a role and my role in making that happen, Ivan. Pascal Donoghue, Minister for Public Expenditure and the National Development Plan. Thank you indeed for joining us in studio. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.